0: Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I started talking with Kelly last week about her personal experience, a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and she is sharing her experience with us. If you didn't hear last week's episode, please go there first, listen to that, and then join us here. Before we get to the continued conversation with Kelly, our Betrayal Trauma Recovery group is going strong. We're so grateful for all of our members. When you join, you're able to have unlimited live support online. So you can join in your car or in your closet, you don't have to get childcare, you don't have to go anywhere. Not only is it good because it's convenient and there's multiple sessions a day in every single time zone, it's also the best support there is because our coaches really understand the abuse and can help you get to emotional safety regardless of your circumstance. It might take a while, it might take a lot of problem solving, but we are here for you. So to join Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, go to our website, btr.org. All right, so now we're going to continue the conversation from last week with Kelly. She's just going to jump right in.
1: I'm very thankful now that I have a much clearer understanding of what I think the Bible does say about the wife needing to do and the husband needing to do and marriage in general because I don't believe that Jesus would have told me that the specific dates that he had sex with another woman are what made the difference. Absolutely not. I think Jesus would choose to focus on the fact of where his devotion lies and what a marriage covenant actually truly is supposed to be about, not the technicalities of the timing of when it happened.
0: Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. It's actually insane. It is. <laughs> it's insane. I keep thinking about these conversations I have with people in the anti-porn movement, even people who know porn is bad, right? Right. And they'll say, well, you know, you're just going a bit too far when you say his porn use is really harming his spouse. I know it's harming him. I know it's harming the people in the porn. But when you say it's abusive to his spouse, you know, no. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? How could you say that? Have you heard all these stories that we share all the time? It's crazy. So let's go back to before you knew it was abuse. Let's go back to that part. You talked about it a little bit where you said you wanted to take the pressure off of him. That happened with me too, where in his recovery from porn, I wanted to make sure he was okay. And so I'd be like, okay, I'll stay home and do the stuff and you can go to the church meeting or whatever. Essentially, I isolated myself more and more and he got out of the house more and more and he had less responsibilities and less things to do. So with you, you mentioned that. Was there anything else that you tried to do to establish safety and peace in your home, the love, serve, forgive type? things that were told to you that didn't work. Can you think of any more like specific examples of doing that typical Christian stuff that ended up keeping you in the abuse cycle?
1: Yes, absolutely. So from the very first moment when we went to the issues of school, because that was a continual cycle of an issue for us, is he can graduate or not. And we're racking up student loans here for no reason because you're not even attending classes. One of the things I tried to do there was to help him get more organized. I figured it's my job here to help support him, and I'm really good at organization. So I went out and I bought poster boards, and I tried to create giant calendars for him to use with things. And he told me, no, I I don't like that idea. So then I tried to do a calendar, shared calendar with our phones and with Google to try and see if maybe an electronic format would be better. No, he, he didn't like that one either. So then I went out and I researched the best organizational tools to help people who struggle with that. And I bought two different planner organizer options for him to use, and he never used any of those. So that was a small, isolated example of where I just thought, okay, if I can just do everything I can to help him with this, then he can get through it. And beyond that, you know, eventually over the years, it became evident it was a much bigger problem than, than just something isolated specifically to school. So we went to a marriage weekend at one point, which the whole point of that was to try and reconnect and to learn better communication skills, because I thought that maybe that was the problem. I was controlling and my communication was too abrasive. And so we needed to learn a better way to, to communicate with her.
0: When you say that, we're putting that in quotes, listeners, she was not controlling and her communication was not too abrasive. They were just saying that in order to pin it on her, right? You've all been told that. None of it is true. BTR is a women's empowerment organization. So I want to just say when she said that, she put that in quotes. And any of you that are being told that, it is false. You communicate just fine. Absolutely. Definitely. And I'm
1: clarifying clarify that too, insisting on the truth should never be something that is too much of a burden for anyone to bear. Let's just be clear on that. No, no, (laughs) absolutely not. So we went to a marriage weekend seminar at one point, which was a pretty big undertaking for us. Because again, I was the only one that was working regularly during this time. And he was racking up debt left and right. And we had a really, really tight budget. But We ended up getting help with a sponsorship to be able to attend that. And I will never forget, they gave us a magnet while we were there. And the magnet said, to love is a decision. And I took that to heart. And I thought, well, I just need to make sure I am making that decision every day. And I hung it up on our fridge. And it stayed on our fridge for years after that. And after I did separate from him, I remember being at the gym one day. And I ran into a church member. They'd heard what was going on and they came up to me and they knew that I was the one that had made the decision to ask him to move out. And I was the one that was preparing to file for divorce. And they sat me down and they told me, you know, you need to remember that loving someone is a decision. We also went to a prayer conference later on as well, because I thought, well, I believe that through God, all things are possible. And if we can pray enough, somehow
0: God can work a miracle here.
1: But of course, we always came back from the weekends and nothing changed. It was back to the same.
0: I love that love is a decision thing, because after a while, victims of abuse can sadly, sadly and regretfully and depressingly say, I am going to choose not to love you anymore because this is not going to work. You can still choose to love the person, but you can also choose to say, and because I love you, like I'm going to set boundaries. I'm going to ask you to leave. I'm going to do this because you can choose to love somebody, but you also need to choose safety, emotional safety, financial safety, sexual safety. And you don't always have to choose that other person's whatever needs, manipulation, whatever over your own safety.
1: Absolutely. Because Love does involve discipline and, and consequences with it. And it's not just in over, an outpouring of nonstop second chances. That's what I had to realize. And I do remember one of my good friends saying to me, you know, take your time to make this decision because it's up to you, but be sure in your heart that you feel comfortable with it and at peace. And what I needed to do to get to that point was to feel like I had exhausted every single possible option out there.
0: Mm-hmm. I think most women do. I I felt the same way. I have many friends who have gone through this who have exhausted every single possibility. The thing I worry about with that, and I think it's good advice, actually, because I don't regret anything. I have no regrets, and probably you don't either. The only thing I would caution people about that is is to say, get to safety as soon as you can, whatever that looks like. If that means separating your financial situation, if that means uh, he moves out of the house, whatever, I don't know what that looks like for you. Mine was arrested, you may or may not know, and he got a no contact order. And so he could not come within a thousand feet of my home and I blocked him. Well, it wasn't till later that I blocked him, but he was court ordered not to text me about anything but the kids. Later on, I blocked him on my phone. But that being said... I did not file for divorce. For me, pouring everything into my marriage was waiting from a safe distance to see what his actions were going to be. And that was me doing everything that I could, right? For some women, it's going to look a little bit different, but I want to caution women to say, okay, if you want to try everything you can go for it, but please do it from a safe place. Because otherwise, in all of your trying and in all of your efforts, if you're just abused more throughout that process, if it takes 10 years and you're abused for 10 more years, please get to a safe place and then continue to do what you want to do for 10, 5, 10 years. I don't care, 50 years, however long you want to do it, as long as you're doing it from a safe spot. Absolutely.
1: And, you know, my parents were really, really great advocates in that for me. I eventually went and traveled out to stay with them for a bit, probably about a month or so after he had moved out. I went home for a few weeks, and I was fortunate to have a job where I could work remotely at the time, so it worked well. At that point, I had laid out some of those requirements that I had of, here are my boundaries, here's what I expect you to be doing in this time, and here's how you need to communicate with me and update me on those. And I will never forget one night I was there and I got an email from him probably around midnight or so. And I had been staying up late because he had promised to send me an update that day. But of course, in his classic fashion, he waited until 11.59 p.m. to send it. So he could still technically say he sent it that day, but wait till the last possible minute. I had reached out to him because I had already separated out our bank accounts But when I had logged into our joint one, I saw that it had been overdrafted by $1,500 or so. And when I looked into it more, I realized that it was from a credit card that he had. He was spending all of that $1,500 on cash advances, which meant he was not working like I thought he was, and bars, which meant he was getting very, very drunk, $50 to $60 tabs almost every night of the week. And I just started bawling my eyes out. I was so upset. And I thought, you know, I am here and setting distance while I try and go to a counselor. And I read every single possible book I can and all of these topics. And I'm praying and I'm journaling. And he is just sitting there going out and drinking every night. And my parents heard me crying and they woke up and they actually came into my room. And my mom is the one that sat me down. And she said, this needs to stop. This is not how a marriage works. And I And I told her, I said, well, you know, sometimes it's, You go through bad things and she said no not like this this is not how it is even in the times where things are bad it should not be to this level and they were very insistent at that point on that i needed to file for a legal separation because that meant that all of the spending that he was continuing to do that was draining our accounts and and i was having to pay off as long as that legal separation was in place that would protect me financially And they told me after that, you can take your time, decide and pray as long as you need to to determine if you're going to get divorced or not. But right here, right now, we need to get legally make you safe.
0: Exactly. And those are the things that I advocate for. So when you find out your husband's using porn and you didn't think he was right, he's got this like face of I'm a righteous person. I don't do that sort of thing. Or I'm a feminist. And so I don't do that sort of thing or whatever. Right. When you recognize that the person you're living with is not the person you thought he was for whatever reason, school, porn affairs, whatever, you need to treat it like a five alarm fire. It is serious business. You can always walk it back later, but you set up safety like at a level 10 or five or whatever the highest level is. I'm just making stuff up, but set it up really, really high safety situation. And so many counselors, therapists, clergy, they don't want to ring the alarm yet. They want to kind of like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. We don't want the worst case scenario because the worst case scenario in their mind is divorce. They don't realize that the victim is already living in the worst case scenario. And that's an abusive relationship. And that is currently happening. So you got to get her out of that first. And then, and then figure out, why do you think it takes so long for women, you, me, lots of women that we've met, to understand that we're being abused?
1: I think it's because it's something that no one ever wants to hear. It's humiliating. For me, I had always thought that women in abusive marriages were those who maybe grew up in a poor family environment where they didn't have the love and stability and security from a young age, which was not at all the case for me. I always just kind of had that picture in my mind, I guess. Maybe they were weaker and that's why they stayed and they didn't leave, things like that. And I thought, well, there's no way that's me. (laughs) You know, I'm smart. I have a solid career. I'm very well educated. I have a good family. I'm really involved in my church. And I am fully dedicated to everything I need to do to save my marriage. So I just thought, you know, he's never actually hit me. And I could make him leave the house at any point when I want to. And I haven't done that yet. So I must not be being abused. I think also for me, it was a lack of knowledge of what exactly abuse encompasses. I mentioned the financial abuse a little bit earlier, but I had no idea that financial abuse was even a thing. I had never heard of that and i did know over the years i had found out instances where he had stolen cash from friends of ours i discovered that while we had been dating i had actually moved to honduras as a missionary for several months and i had left all of my important documents and everything with him while i was gone and he was writing himself checks from my bank account while i was gone once i was back and we were married I remember being at work one day and I was about to head into a meeting with a client and I got a phone call on my cell phone and I picked it up and it was a creditor telling me that we were $3,000 past you on a credit card that I knew nothing about. I didn't realize that that was financial abuse. I just had no education to even recognize those terms at all.
0: I think that people who I talk with frequently, maybe anti-porn people, maybe clergy, maybe therapists who think that my abuse stance is extreme. I just don't think they know about abuse. They haven't studied abuse at all, frankly. And so once you say this is what abuse is, read these, you know, seven books on abuse, go to the domestic violence, whatever. I think they'd have to admit that it is. But for some reason, abuse is just so not well known. It's not well understood. And the problem with it is, is that everyone, you were educated. I'm, you know, I have a master's degree. Educated people think they know what abuse is. And they do not. And so that's what really is killing me right now is like these conversations I have with therapists, clergy, like anti-porn people, all the people I just said, who are constantly telling me, you're going too far. You're going too far. This is a good guy. This isn't abuse. I'm like, well, study abuse and then tell me what you think. But they won't do it. I think that's interesting. They don't want to read the books. They don't want to know about the abuse.
1: It's interesting. All the women that I work with now, I feel like they fall into two buckets But I see people regularly fall into either of those buckets. It's not just that they're all in one. And one of the buckets is more of the thought I had in my mind, where they had a really bad childhood growing up, where they've basically just known abuse their whole life. Like, they don't know anything else. But then there's also this second bucket, and it's the one that I fell into, where it's the more naive, sheltered Christian girls who grew up thinking... I'm going to find a man who is a strong Christian who is everything that I thought I needed and that I wanted, who's very involved in church, who's very active, who's well liked and well loved and and if that happens, I'm following God's God's desire here, so nothing bad can take place. And I have been shocked to discover that I am not alone in that. That happens more often than not and I think that, you know, abusers can take advantage of that and manipulate that So easily when they know that it's someone who is very genuine and loving and caring and is going to be so loyal because their beliefs hold them there. They see that as vulnerability
0: and something to take advantage of. Yep. Yeah. And we need to educate women of the religious community that the profession of faith is not the same thing as actually living your faith. Oh, absolutely. If you could go back and talk to your younger self, Kelly, what would you tell her? Oh, so many things. <laughs> I think probably the biggest thing that
1: I would say is to just approach dating completely differently. I had grown up with it as a very much courtship approach where it was something extremely serious. And if you are with that person, then that should be somebody that you're considering for marriage. And I wish I could go back and tell myself now, don't make it so serious so quickly. You know, this is the time where you are dating to get to know them. So when these red flags come up, don't just dismiss them as something of, well, we can, we can work through it and we can work through everything. Take those as opportunities to say, I can leave now. I don't have to stay here and I don't have to continue it. And learn how to have those healthy boundaries for yourself before you go into dating. I also wish that I could educate myself a little bit more on what Jesus actually says about divorce in the Bible and what the Bible actually has information on for divorce and laws was something to protect women back then. It was not meant to keep them trapped and to keep them stuck in horrible situations for forever. And I think the biggest piece of that is that I think churches tend to rush the forgiveness and the reconciliation side of things. And I think now my knowledge on forgiveness and how that is not the same thing as trust, it is not the same thing as reconciliation and recognizing the difference there that I can choose to forgive someone, but that doesn't mean I need to continually entrust my heart to them over and over and over when they have clearly demonstrated that they are not a safe person for me to do that with.
0: I did a podcast episode of insights that I received from the New Testament and I've kind of been regretting it. So I want to bring this up right now because I was just reading it really quick. I wouldn't say like the Holy Spirit was really with me or anything. I was just reading a bunch of scriptures that indicated that it's okay to set boundaries. And so it was like, get away from this bad person. Right. And I thought, should I air it? Should I not? I aired it. And part of me is like, oh man, I sound a little bit like so harsh, right? Like, because there's these two dichotomous concepts going on in Christianity. The first is love your neighbor, forgive, serve, you know, bring them into the fold, that sort of thing. And the other one is safety, 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 safety. And there's all these scriptures that say, if someone's lying and commits whoredoms and yada, 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 then like, get them, get away from that person, right? And so I think it's so interesting that Christianity as a whole is sort of conglomerated toward the love-serve thing in our communities inside of our church. So the guy's coming to church, so we should love and serve and help him out. But these other people outside our church that are doing things that, you know, they're not hurting us per se, let's pretend, but like we're not going to associate with those people. And I think that's really interesting because I think, A lot of the people outside the church that you actually associating with them is not going to hurt you. You're going to be safe. It's going to be okay. They've sort of flipped it so that anyone inside the church is automatically safe and everyone outside the church is automatically not safe. And I want to say, take your time to get to know people. Find out if they're emotionally mature, if they really are genuine, if they're honest. And don't assume that just because they show up to church and sit in the pew every week that they're safe.
1: I would add one thing to that too. So one of the verses that I love that I've grown to love over the years now is Matthew 10, 16. And literally this is Jesus instructing us in the Bible. And he is telling us, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Like he is warning us that we need to be careful. And he says, be as wise as serpents, and as innocent as doves. He isn't telling us to just sit back and let ourselves be walked over. He's saying to be smart in it. And It's interesting because I've been divorced now for several years and I am now in a relationship with someone else and I have been with them for two years now. And this is the very first person that I have ever dated outside of my denomination. And that is something I never thought would have happened. (laughs) Years ago, I would have said, well, there's no way I'd ever even consider it. But I have learned that finding someone who is honest, who is respectful who does what they say they're going to do, everything in a relationship is a million times easier when you have that in place. And the fact that he may not check off the box of the exact same belief system 100%, I've discovered that I actually have way more in common with him and our worldviews than I do with a lot of folks in my church. That was a really big change moment for me to recognize that and to be confused of wow how have i spent my entire life focusing on well you need that belief if they don't have that official membership in this church then i just i can't do that to then find someone with a completely different background and find that no this person lives out so much more of god's love than i have ever found in any other relationship i've been in
0: knowing what characteristics are healthy and we can't know them if we don't live them ourselves First of all, we have to live a healthy lifestyle, emotionally, physically, sexually, whatever, right? If we are healthy ourselves, we're going to be able to spot it a lot easier in others. So that's number one. Number two, knowing what those characteristics are and then being able to watch for them is so much different than them checking off the boxes of, do they attend this particular church every week? Do they check off all the boxes so that everyone in the community thinks they look good? I think that's the problem actually with religious communities is that it's a real easy place for predators to put on the mask or groom because it's an actually like built-in trust mechanism that doesn't require a whole lot of observation into their actual behaviors.
1: Definitely. You know, that's what we're taught a lot growing up, too, of the things that you need to look for are the people that are active in church or who are there every week, because those are things that are easy to see at a quick glance on the outside. It it takes a lot more time and effort to dive below the surface on that.
0: It does. And we've got plenty of time, sisters, so let's use it. One more quote that came to mind as we were
1: talking, I read Leslie Vernick's book, The Emotionally Destructive Marriage, and that was a huge eye-opener for me in and of itself. And then later on, about a year or so afterwards, I attended one of her conferences too. And in the book and in the conference, she says that God does not love the sanctity of your marriage more than he loves your safety and your sanity. I think that's something that's important for all of us to keep in mind, because I had the mindset that... I may have not made the best choice in the spouse that I had married, but because I had made that decision, I needed to live with the consequences of that for the rest of my life. And I just wish that I had known about how much of a relational God we serve and that he cares so much more about people than he does about those official laws and technicalities and that side of things.
0: He does. And for those of you who are not women of particular religion, please know that I love you and I'm grateful for you for listening. And I will say putting up with us delving into our faith. But I will say those of you who do believe in God, he does love us. And our collective prayers that seem to go unanswered, I think will be answered in one way or another. And I don't know how, But as this issue is coming more and more to light, you know, the Me Too movement, so many things have happened that will enable us to really see truth come out. But it's such a difficult thing. And I want you to know that if you feel like your prayers aren't being answered, just know that there's a whole contingent of women who are praying who feel the same way. And I don't think God is ignoring all of us. I think he loves us and he's preparing something for us that's much better than we could ever imagine. So I'd just like to thank Kelly for coming on today's episode. If this podcast is helpful to you, please rate it on iTunes or your other podcasting apps. Every single one of your ratings helps women who are isolated find us. I got a really bad rating on Trauma Mama on uh, Amazon and it just was like, this book is just pictures. It stinks. And I felt bad. Uh because I really meant it to be helpful to people. And the end has all these educational infographics. So if you've purchased the book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, and you liked it and you haven't reviewed it on Amazon, will you please go and rate that and give it a five-star rating? It would really help. The way the Amazon algorithm works, the more ratings it has and the better the ratings are, the more it shows up in searches. And this book, I think, can be really helpful to women to help figure out what's going on early. And it's so simple i.e., the pictures, that I'm hoping that women can really get to the point like this is abuse more quickly and save them years of chaos and pain. That's my hope. Uh obviously that one person didn't like it, which is fine, they're entitled to their opinion. But my intent was to really just help people understand it quickly. So thank you. Also, a big huge thank you to those of you who support the podcast. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, please go to our website, btr.org, scroll down to the bottom. Click on support the podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.